when our children really truly understand and believe that there's a place in this world for them and that they're valued not only by their families, but by all people, that that is where they can relax, confident. And in that confidence, that's where you start feeling like you have the emotional bandwidth to connect with other people. Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Amber O'Neill Johnston, a homeschooling mother of four, shows parents of all backgrounds how to create a home environment where children feel secure in their own personhood and culture, enabling them to better understand and appreciate people who are racially and culturally different. Today, she'll be joining me and we'll be discussing her new book, A Place to Belong, which provides parents with the tools to empower children as they embrace their unique identities while feeling beautifully tethered to their global community. But as always, before we get there, I wanted to share a minimalist moment of the week with you. This one's quick, and this has to do with expectations for the holiday season. The holiday season is just another one of those times each year that people start to compare their lives to one another's. I guess this is happening all year long. However, it's specifically in this season that I will ask each one of my family members, even my three-year-old, what is one thing that you'd like to do this season? My daughter said she wants to go sledding. My son wants to make gingerbread houses. There are five of us total, so that is five events that I try to prioritize between Thanksgiving and the new year. By allowing each person to check off at least one box on their holiday bucket list, this makes for a more exciting season, but also you know that you've hit the things that your family members want to do. And it helps with the comparison because you know you've hit those markers that your family members want to do and not that you want to do just because you've seen other families doing it online. We love to go cut down our Christmas tree, but I'm not so into ice skating. If my daughter wanted to do that, we would, of course, add it to the list. However, it's not something that I need to go do just because I see others doing it in this holiday season. So my encouragement to you is just to take the pressure off yourself to see what others are doing and do the things that your family members want to do in these last weeks of the year. Hi, Amber. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited to have you here too, because I spoke with Julie Bogart and she highly recommended that I get you on the podcast to share. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then we'll get into your book and talk about world schooling. Okay, awesome. I'm Amber O'Neill Johnston, also known as Heritage Mom. I live outside of Atlanta, Georgia with my husband, Scott, and our four kiddos, 13, 11, 9, and 7 in November. And we are homeschoolers. We've been home educating from the beginning, and we are into all things books, travel, outdoor, nature, all of the above. Yes, I highly relate to that. I haven't been homeschooling technically since the beginning, but I mean, I guess my daughter started last year and this is our second year. So she's in second grade. So I guess in certain ways we've been starting from the beginning, but I knew that I wanted to have you on because I thought your upcoming book was profound and necessary in our culture today. But before we get into our conversation about world schooling, I just want you to share a little bit more about what made you write your book and we'll go from there. Basically, I was looking for, I wasn't intending to write a book. I was looking to read a book 
that would talk about diversity in a celebratory way, not like this, like, oh, this is such a drag. We have to do this or this is so hard and and all that, but kind of looking at it differently, like, wow, we get to do this. So I was finding a little bit here and there, but then I also was looking for a book that would talk about the need for all of us to come together and for us to build relationships and forge bonds and not just like tolerate one another, but to actually develop kinship. And I saw a little bit of that in some places, but I could definitely not find a book that talked about both. It seemed like you had to pick to pursue one or the other. And I kind of reject that idea. And so I wrote the book that I wanted to read. And my book focuses on how we can tether our children to home and family and their roots with the sole purpose of them feeling really connected so that they will spread wide branches towards others. So the entire book is just a simple, but very intentional approach to naturally and authentically celebrating diversity and kinship. So there's no rules, there's no recipes. It's pretty much just my view as a guide for how our family lives can inspire our children to see and pursue the humanity in other people. Absolutely. And I don't think we said the name of the book. It's called A Place to Belong, Celebrating Diversity and Kinship in the Home and Beyond. I just even reading through the introduction, you were talking about how your daughter just was so strongly desiring a place to belong because she was in a community where the majority of people didn't look like her and just how isolating that can feel. And I think that can happen to a lot of us, you know? For sure. I mean, I I think for my family, it had to do with we're Black or Mm African-American and we lived and definitely homeschooled. But I think that I've met so many parents around the country. I've been traveling and speaking this year who tell me about similar circumstances they have where it's just about being different. And sometimes that can be like, you're just not from that place. You relocate to the Pacific Northwest and you grew up in the Southeast. Or sometimes it's a language difference. Sometimes it's a learning difference. I've even heard from parents who tell me like, yes, I was the only dark-haired, tan-skinned brunette in a family of all blondes. Mm. I mean, there's so many different ways that we can experience it. And it's not that who we are is bad in any sense, but it is difficult when you literally are the only one day in and day out, year after year. There are challenges and each child can experience those differently. But I know I also grew up the way that my daughter was growing up and I just didn't have the boldness that she had to reach out for help or to articulate how hard it was on a daily basis. So once she was able to communicate that to me, and I'm so thankful that her little mouth was able to clearly formulate what she needed and what she wasn't getting, then I was able to kind of look inside my home and see what was going on and why we weren't able to help her in the ways that she needed. And we made a lot of significant changes. And the book demonstrates a lot of what came out of that time period. This entire concept that your book is centered on, the celebrating diversity and kinship, I feel like humans complicate this and I don't think it has to be complicated. I think it's loving others. And do you think that we overcomplicate this? Um, in some ways, I think that also we we feel like a lot of the conversations are like we have to choose. If you are proud of who you are in some circles, that's a bad thing today. You can't be proud of who you are and then also honor other people. And I just really reject that. I feel like we should all be raising children who feel really comfortable in their own skin and feel like the people that they came from are people who have done great things. All of us can say that. 
And I feel like when our children really, truly understand and believe that there's a place in this world for them and that they're valued not only by their families, but by all people, that that is where they can relax and they can really feel confident. And in that confidence, that's where you start feeling like you have the emotional bandwidth to connect with other people. When my daughter was so focused on her own lack and her own discomfort with who she was, with her brown skin, with her curly hair, she had no time to build bridges and bonds with other people who were different than her. She just was too focused, too inwardly focused. But when her confidence level increased and she began to see like, wow, I, I come from some pretty cool people. I like this. Then I saw like she was just so open because mm-hmm. she felt like there was nothing that felt threatening. Everybody just had a story to tell just like her. Maybe it's because I have young kids, but it's just crazy to me. How old was your daughter when this conversation started happening? Yeah, she was only six. Wow. That is, yes, I did not get that in the, when yeah, I started. She was only six and uh, she's the one that's just about to be 13 here. And it's still, when I look back on it, I'm amazed that we were having these conversations. And mm-hmm. I just think she's always been like that, right? Mm-hmm. She's part of why she was homeschooled, why we started homeschooling her, but she's always been precocious and just full of words and vocabulary and very verbal. Mm-hmm. And although she didn't have terminology to put behind her concerns or feelings, she was still very clearly able to articulate that, hey, you know, like this is not working for me. I feel bad. And that's been a gift. I look at it as a gift. It was devastating at the time, right? To hear her saying those kind of awful things about herself and therefore our family and all of our people. But at the end of the day, I'm thankful that at such a young age, I got the opportunity to change direction. So I was thinking we were going to talk about chapter 13 and we still can, but I want to talk about chapter 12 of your book, choosing joy, finding beauty through culturally rich learning. I feel like that's the direction we're going in right now in regards to the fact that you were having this conversation with a six-year-old. I think where maybe I would want to complicate it is like, oh, my six-year-old can't handle maybe some of the harder topics of what we're talking about, like identity. And I would think that would be over their head. And so I, as an adult, am overcomplicating that when really maybe your daughter was extremely verbal and able to articulate some of these things at this point in time. But I also think that kids are just, you can just kind of tell them things and they're blank slates in a way when they're so little. But I like the idea of introducing some of these harder discussions with visual art, music, poetry, cultural food traditions, nature, introducing them in age appropriate ways that it can be done and we don't have to overcomplicate it. I just want to know how you have introduced more difficult topics in these ways. So I do talk to my kids about kind of hard history, like you said, in appropriate ways. And the way I look at it is kind of like math, right? We don't wait until our children are seniors in high school and say, bam, here's calculus, have at it. But from the very beginning, we're like one, two, buckle your shoe, three, four, shut the door or help mama set the table. How many people are in our family? How many more do we need? Or we count the stairs or we count our steps. And so we just drip drop mathematical concepts. 
with them all along. And then as they age, we share more and more complex and complicated ideas with them and progress them through. I feel the same way about history. So I drip, drop, drip, drop with my children all along from the very beginning. So even my almost seven-year-old, my little six-year-old guy there at the end, he understands and knows just the right amount for what he needs to understand and know. I share this hard history with them that includes enslavement and even hard recent history, 9-11 and all types of things that are hard to discuss with our children. But I balance that with really heavy doses of joy, cultural joy. And that's where the things that you mentioned come in. So I don't just leave my kids there like, okay, well, when we talk about historical or cultural or ethnic things, they're all traumatic. No, no, no. So we look and see what do people like us and people who are different than us, what have they created? Because even in the midst of the most tragic circumstances, people will cling to joy. And so by seeing visual art, even performing arts as well, but music and listening to the music that people create and reading their verses and poetry and eating their food and learning to cook it. And and then I say they, I mean, our own people, right? Like African-American people, Americans. I mean, we have uh, multi-dimensional identity, but also the food and food traditions of other people. And I feel like that's one way to really get to know people, to find out like how they feast and what food means to them. And then just obviously through nature, that's very, very important to my family. And some people are like, what does that have to do with culture or anything like that? And I think that it has everything to do with that. One, the very land that we walk and play and live on, thinking of who was here before us. We live near a national battlefield from the Civil War, thinking of all the lives that were lost there. And yet that's where our favorite place is to hike. And so just making that connection to people of the past, no matter who they are. And also for me, it's a form of activism because Black people haven't always been welcome in outdoor spaces in this country. And so just having my children out from the very beginning from birth in nature where they can explore and feel like they truly belong, they can do anything out there and feel comfortably at home is to me a reclamation of what was once lost. So I think it's all connected. You also talk about in chapter 13, world schooling. You did say you were going out of the country here for the rest of the year. Is this part of that world schooling you're talking about? Oh yeah, that's definitely part of it. So we have rough plans. Who knows if we'll get exactly like this, but we're trying to spend three months on each continent over our children's lifetime. We're kind of pacing it to get all of that done before our oldest would leave the home. And so we did South America. We did Europe. We ended up having to leave Europe early because COVID happened while we were in Greece. And yeah, it was really crazy. And now we're going to Africa. So we're going to be in Ghana for most of the time. We have a little, some side trips to Europe in the beginning and end, but the majority of our time will be spent in Accra, Ghana, and we have no agenda. We're just going to settle in. We have a house in a neighborhood and we're just going to live and get to know people and their food and their culture and how they experience life. And that's what we like to do. It's slow travel. We do some tourist things, but that's not our primary goal. So it's not really a vacation 
education. That's why we refer to it as world schooling, because we have a, a very specific intent when we're away. To have a kinship with someone is the sharing of characteristics or origins. So when you choose to go over to a different continent for three months, you are truly sharing in those maybe not exact origins if you're not from there, but you are living among the people that do live there. And I think that that is how we make it authentic. Or even just if we have neighbors here in America, we might not have to go overseas, but if there's a restaurant that we can go to that it seems maybe out of our comfort zone, we can get to know families. Or I really love my old church. They have a really vibrant Spanish speaking community in their church. And at this point in time, they have both English and Spanish language for the worship slides, for the music during the service. And I just think that's a really cool way to sing alongside of fellow Americans at this point and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're believers. And I think that's how we can create a kinship with one another too, is just by having the access to it. No, I totally agree. And in my book, I talk about, even though this is something that my family does and we're committed to and the global travel, and all that that's far and few between the majority of the time we're at home here in the United States living our daily lives. It's like a global mindset that we hope to impart to our children more so than like, oh, you spent most of your life overseas because that's simply not the case for our family. So I think you're you're definitely right. I think a lot of it has to do with awareness. A lot of it has to do with comfort. In the chapter where I talk about choosing joy and teaching our children cultural things through beautiful things, through beauty, I really focus a lot on the idea that a lot of times beauty is determined by what we are used to. So beauty is determined by like what we're used to seeing or what we're used to hearing. And so even just what we play, the music we play in the, in our homes, I feel like there are these so many different ways that may seem very passive, but like if you walk past art every day, your childhood all day, it becomes part of you. And if that art is created in a style or by another culture that's different than what may be typical where we are, where we live, then it's just a very subtle way of presenting beauty to your children and letting their eyes eyes become accustomed to seeing the creations of other people. Same thing with music, same thing with food. So I think that will these things change the world and revolutionize everything? No, but I'm not sure that that's our charge. But I think that it goes a long way to helping develop the people that we're charged with guiding. And that's our children and our homes in this season. So you did mention that maybe not everyone has the access to living overseas for three months. Maybe that's not possible. But what would be your encouragement to people that want to create this kinship? I never want to feel like we make people a project. I don't want it to be a project. I want it to be because we actually have a desire in our heart to know people different than us. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that in many ways, in addition to the things that kind of already talked about would be books. And I spend three chapters of my book talking about books. And I think that's a beautiful way. I talk about the concept of mirrors and windows and how all children should have books that are mirrors, which basically reflect back to them, their own kind of personhood, major aspects of their personhood, their culture, their ethnicity, and other things. And then children should have ready access to beautiful windows. And those are books that give our children a view to other people and how they may live. And I think with those two, not solely, but we don't have to look at every single book as a mirror window, but with a deep concentration on that as we build our home libraries, as we make selections in our local community libraries and determine which books 
books we're going to read with our children as lessons to have those ideas in mind. That's just one more layer of understanding that our kids can get. Oh, I really love that. Mirrors and windows. That's a great metaphor. I'm also wondering though, you said when you go overseas, you kind of just settle in. It's not necessarily a vacation, but you're living amongst people and communities. So do you have any other suggestions for people if they are feeling prompted by this conversation and maybe look into that? Do you have any wisdom to share there? Yeah, I would say that for us, we look for housing, however that may come. We've stayed in a lot of different types of places, but we look for housing that is I'll say among the people, right? Like we're not staying in hotels. We're not staying in the Ritz Carlton. Obviously I want to be safe, but we just want to be in a neighborhood that's walkable. We go to the market. We want to get to know our neighbors, try not to spend too much time being really touristy, but time doing whatever the people around us are doing. If they're going to the parks or of course we go to museums and and we do that here in the States too, right? Like we try to live the same life that we live here over there. So it is immersive and intentional. We rarely eat out, but maybe like a little street cafe or something like that, but we rarely eat out. We shop and cook at home. We've never had a rental car or transportation overseas. So we take whatever transportation that people there take. If it's a bus, if it's a train, if we walk long distances. So I would just say the idea of you don't have to plan 800 excursions and spend a million dollars. If you consider the idea, like for instance, our house in Ghana is $30 a day. So yes, it has to be some budget, but it's not what people necessarily think. And so if it's $30 a day and you're shopping in the market and eating at home and you're walking, then you can start to see how this type of lifestyle could potentially work for some families. If we're thinking of some bougie travel, I think that that's where it feels not accessible to us, but there are ways to do it in a really cost-efficient way. If we just look at it as we are just picking up our life and we're living here, that makes it more easy to digest maybe for people. Cause that sounds amazing to be able to go away for three months. My husband and I have always talked about living somewhere else during the summer because he's a teacher. And now that we homeschool, there are opportunities there. So you've kind of encouraged me to maybe look into it for next summer. I'm curious though, what made you decide the end of the year during the holiday season? Less expensive to travel off season. Also, because it's not a vacation for us, our kids are fully immersed in school, right? But the world becomes their school. But we still do math though, because we're not going to just totally lose our minds. I want the mindset of the children to be that we're here learning. We are embracing what we're doing and we're not, this is not Disney World. So that's part of it. Other aspects are that things slow down back here at home during the holiday season. And it's very hard to miss out. It seems like whenever we're gone, that's when all the best field trips happen. And when all my friends are doing the most amazing things that we are missing out on, of course, I'm sure that's not true, but that's how it feels. And so that's the downside of kind of bowing out of local life for three months. So we found we've traveled before. We, when we were in South America, we went the same time of year and it was kind of great because everyone else back home had slowed down too. So we weren't missing out on as many things. So that's kind of the rationale behind that. Yeah, that makes sense. I was just curious. So I guess what a final word of encouragement would be to pick up your book or that you want people to walk away from your book, believing and starting in their own lives. I would say mostly that each and every one of us has an opportunity to root our children and to help them reach out to other people and not just in service of course, in service too, but not only in service, but in as a comrade, as a friend, as someone that they're choosing to do life with. And I feel like we don't have to choose. 
I can celebrate my children and we can celebrate being black. We can celebrate being American. We can celebrate all the things that God, where he put us and how he made us. And at the same time, we can feel all of those positive feel goods for other people too. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So I think that's like my big message. And I think that that's what people will find especially refreshing in the book. Well, Amber, where can they grab a copy of your book or connect with you online if they want to do so? Sure. They can go to a place to belong book.com. And my main website is heritagemom.com. And they can find me hanging out on Instagram or Facebook at Heritage Mom Blog. Great. Well, I didn't prompt you for these, but with every guest, I ask two questions at the end. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource to you that you'd like to share with the listeners? And this can be a podcast. It can be a book. It can be a documentary. Anything that has been, I don't necessarily want to use the word life-changing, but has had a profound impact on you. Well, there is a homeschool mom, Nicole Cottrell, who has developed a website that definitely is changing lives, mine and others. It's called storiesofcolor.com. And you can go on there and search for beautiful living books by culture, location, by age, and all these different things. And it's totally free. It's like amazing, amazing database of over 2000 books so far and counting. So I definitely think that has been one of the most amazing things for me and other families. Well, the last question that I have for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? And again, this can be something silly. This can be something serious, just anything that you can't stop talking about. Well, I think one of the things I never stop talking about is my local homeschooling community. The older that I've gotten, the more that I've seen how important it is to kind of really dig into my mama relationships and relationships with other women. And I think I was knee deep in babies for so long that I had kind of walked away from that, not intentionally. I'll say I floated away. I didn't walk away. And now I'm really digging back into that and I'm loving it. Like I'm having a really, really, good time. So I think that that's probably what I've been talking about the most lately. I absolutely would not be able to homeschool without my community of women around me that were also homeschooling. We are very diverse, the women of this group I'm in. And yet we have this common bond of homeschool. And it's just been amazing. The relationships that have developed and friendships, it's just been wonderful. I wouldn't want to do it without it either. Well, Amber, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to hearing it. What did you think of the episode? If you enjoyed this conversation, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review if you haven't done so yet. Leaving a rating and review is the best way you can help this podcast continue to succeed and grow. Again, thank you to everyone who supports The Minimalist Moms by listening, leaving those rating and reviews, or following along on social media at Minimalist Moms Podcast. As always, I invite you to keep the conversation going at minimalistmomspodcast.com and there you can find links to the Instagram account, my Facebook page, and where you can find me all around the web. Thank you for joining up on this journey. I wish you a lovely week as you think more and do with less.